Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strong and Allie. Hey guys. Hey. So we're going to do a short intro today. Yeah, we are. It's going to only be 10 minutes. Alyssa texted me and she was like, we're doing a short intro. It's only going to be 10 minutes. So I'm passing the information along. (laughs) I have no control over this. It's her episode. So I'm just being the messenger, Alyssa. Yes, that's right. So guys, uh, the reason why this is going to be a short intro is because when I was originally writing this episode, I thought it was going to be kind of a short episode. And then I got on a tangent and then I went down that tangent (laughs) for quite some time. And I realized, (laughs) This is probably going to be closer to two hours if we have a full-on intro. So we just got to do 10 minutes. 10-minute intro, and then you guys can get into the topic that you were brought here to listen to anyway. Because you guys can see the title of this episode, even though Natalia can't yet. Right. Uh, You know, I just feel like you guys can make your own intro up. Like, by now, you know, like, okay, let me just imagine, like, two girls complaining about things in a low voice. (laughs) That's Let's Get Haunted intro for 20 minutes. Exactly. That's right. (laughs) And somebody left a comment on one of our YouTube videos. Should I say this or should we not? Yeah, no, you should because I think it's hilarious. Okay, so somebody from Austria. You should just read the content. Yeah. Yeah. First of all... I think English is this person's second language because the just the cadence and like overall tone does not match what they're saying. But also, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I, and, I'm but, not sure. Uh, okay, guys. So if you guys didn't know, hi. If you're new to this podcast, welcome to Let's Get Haunted. I'm Allie and Nat is Nat and we have this podcast. And um, Thank you yeah. for explaining that for them. <laughs> and um, we also have a YouTube channel. We've only ever put out two videos and somebody I guess who just recently found our podcast just realized we have a YouTube and left this comment and he or she said wow I always thought you guys were fat just listening to your podcast haha what you do keep it up all the best from Austria (laughs) and there's like a heart and a hang loose (laughs) emoji right I mean I guess like he's just simply stating like what he thought yeah you know you know maybe the Austrians are just really blunt like that yeah that's what I was thinking too oh uh should we tell them Natalia about how fucking dumb I am that we just realized I'm really dumb about the P.O. Box. Oh, yeah, go for it. You guys, this is my personal haunting this week. As you know, we have struggled with receiving mail at the P.O. Box. And part (laughs) of that is legitimately because we don't have a business license. So, like, they don't accept mail sometimes under, like, the phrase LGH. They don't accept mail. It has to be either Let's Get Haunted or Alyssa Terry or Natalia Strawn. They don't accept stuff that says Allie and Nat, for example. So, like, okay, that is still legitimate and real. However, I am also fucking stupid because they have been putting these yellow slips in my P.O. box for the longest time. I've had this P.O. box for longer than I've had the podcast. So probably like four years of having this P.O. box. And I just kind of thought like, oh, they're just putting yellow slips in my P.O. box. I don't know what this is. And they put them in upside down. So there's no like it's not like typed out or anything. It's just like a yellow slip with like a marker mark on it. And then uh, this would have been a couple days ago. I was at the P.O. box because somebody had said, hey, I sent you something uh, in December and it says you haven't picked it up yet. And I'm like, that's weird. Normally they'll put like a key in your P.O. box if they want you to go pick up a package from them. And then you take them the key and they give you the package or like they send you to a locker. Anyway, not important. There's no time to explain. Basically, what happened is I realized (laughs) those yellow slips are actually just them letting me know that instead of giving me a key to a locker, 
they want me to go hand them the yellow slip and then they will give me a package. So now we have about 10 packages that I just (laughs) didn't realize people had sent us and we're going to open them up probably on the listener stories episode. We're going to do an unboxing. I'm really, really excited. Yeah. Me too. Presents. Yeah. But but that's my personal haunting for the week. Natalia, (laughs) do do you have a personal haunting? So my mom was like playing Let's Get Haunted in the car with one of my cousins or something. One of my male cousins who's like a little bit younger than me. And she was like, then Alyssa started talking about tampons and uh, uh, your cousin was so uncomfortable. uh, We had to turn it off. To Natalia's cousin, just want to say vagina, vagina, tampon. I'm very sorry. And thank you for listening to our (laughs) podcast. (laughs) We should thank our donors because we didn't last time. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, that's kind of fucked up. But then I was also like, yeah, let's keep everyone on their toes. Do you want to go first? I would like to thank Kathleen O, Karina B, Jesse S, Brielle S, Jennifer P, Chloe C, Jacob G, Gillian M, and Gabby K, maybe Jillian M. Thank you guys so much for donating. We don't have ads. We don't have help. We need a lot (laughs) of help. Thank you so much for donating. This has been great. Yes. Thank you. And I have a list here that I'm about to read off. The people whose names I am about to read off, your money came in because I tweeted saying, I want to submit Let's Get Haunted for a Webby Award. If you don't know what a Webby Award is, it might be a scam, but everyone's telling me it's not a scam. Miley Cyrus won one year and they have a category for podcasts. So I tweeted out and I said, hey, I want to enter for a Webby Award. If you think that Let's Get Haunted deserves a Webby Award, Donate to the Kofi, and a lot of you responded, and I'm going to read your names off now. We have Alicia C., Andrea, Brittany, Issy, Paige K., Omar M., Lotus, Ruby V., Charlotte D., Sierra, Chanel, Rain, Haley A., Frank D., Jack C., Rhiannon, Tony, Johnny P., Aitana A., Phineas C., Cheyenne, Amanda, Ruroni1029, Phil, Page B, Anonymous, P3, Anonymous, Colin R, Jacob O, Initial Response, Alyssa M, Stephen P, Miss Natty Cat, Ashley D, Shannon, Mary, Lid W, Tyler C, Abby W, Jessica T, Sydney B, Amy W, and Alyssa G. Wow. Hell yes. Was that the whole world? Yes. And I have to give a shout out to Amanda, who donated $170 towards a Webby Award. Wow. She tweeted at us and she said, hey, longtime listener, I've never donated before. I just made some extra money. You guys deserve a Webby Award. And then she gave us $170. Amanda, hell yeah. I'm literally going to cry. Well, now we have to win it. I was very emotional. I know. And then Frank D. also gave us $100 towards a Webby Award. Thank you very much, Frank. Amazing. Thank you so much, Frank. Wow. So you guys... If you don't know what a Webby Award was, then we're the same because I still don't understand what it was. And... (laughs) But I went on the website because when Alyssa was talking about we got to win a Webby Award, I was like, okay, what is this? I went on the website and the people who win it are like major brands like Miley Cyrus's 
web series that she made during the quarantine bright-minded won something i think like demi lovato wins something like there's like netflix series that win things on this okay and i guess also like podcasts like last podcast on the left has one Alyssa told me but these are like major big contenders Mm -hmm. so if but i think it once you are entered it's by votes so maybe if by some fluke we just get everyone to vote for us we might win who knows yeah. yeah. And definitely, if you guys know of a different podcast award thing, <laughs> like, let me know. Just tweet at me and I will enter us because now I'm on a mission. And this all got brought about because friend of the show, Jamie McCune, who a lot of you know, he texted me and was like, hey, I tried to enter you for a Webby Award because I think you guys deserve it. But I just realized if you're not part of a network, you have to pay money to enter. And he was like, I would love to enter you guys, but I don't have enough money. It was literally $435 to enter in one category and 400 So and we entered in two categories. Uh, comedy Mm -hmm. and best series we were just kind of like bitching back and forth and I was like that's so stupid like that basically just guarantees that independent podcasts will never be entered in any podcast competition because it's too expensive if you don't have a reliable like means of income from your podcast you literally can't enter and so then I got like fired up and I was like okay I'm gonna just put out this tweet and see like if nobody wants us to be in the webbies then great take this as a sign I won't enter us but if our audience wants us to enter the webbies and wants to help us to pay for the ability to enter then I will do it and you guys did it so we are now entered in the webbies yeah okay if there's an award ceremony I'm just gonna like wear something very extra I just feel it and like show up and then like when we get the award just start crying like not even have a speech just like (laughs) (laughs) okay you can dress up like really nice and then I'll dress up as Mothman or something I'll dress up as like a cryptid and just like I'll dress up as a siren but like I can't walk because I'll be wearing a mermaid tail so you'll be pulling me in a wagon like a little red wagon right yeah, I then we just that. cry and then we flop off the stage. Wow, that's a look right there. Yeah, Talk about getting us noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Move over, Miley Cyrus. That's right. Move over well-produced podcasts that are part <laughs> of legitimate networks. It's our turn to shine. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to hear this story because Alyssa kept telling, like, is like, ooh, this is going to be so gross today. The story I'm telling you is so gross. Make sure you eat before or after, but not during. <laughs> Because it's gross. Okay. And then I was like, okay, I get that you really want me to believe it's gross. So now I'm like interested. And then she was looking at the photos. She was like, okay, let me just get my photos organized before we start recording. And she's like looking at the photos with really dramatic, like disgusted faces. (laughs) And and she's like, so now I'm just like, what is this going to be? Am I going to see like a, a person turned inside out or something? Like, what is it? I don't. Okay. As soon as, so you guys who are listening, you've already seen the title of this episode. The, our whole shtick is that who, whichever host is telling the episode story, the other host that's listening doesn't, has no fucking idea what's going on until they're Mm -hmm. in it. So they have no choice. They don't, they don't get to consent. Like they don't (laughs) get a chance to back out. It just like happens to them and then they deal with the consequences. So Natalia told me all about, um, sleep paralysis and then I just had to deal with that knowledge that was given to me (laughs) and it was not fun so now I get to do the same to her and I do want to put out a trigger warning but I was saying this to Natalia before we started recording 
I don't know if I'm the only person on earth who would be triggered by this topic. I'm like starting to rethink everything I've said. But to me, this was like very gross and very triggering. So if you are triggered by things like death and what happens to you after death, then I would just say, don't listen to this. Otherwise, come along for the ride. We're about to get gross and weird. All right, I'm ready. Natalia's making a very confused face at me right now. Very skeptical. I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm like, is this going to be gross? Don't get me excited. (laughs) Okay, guys, let's jump into today's episode, Natalia. Death is the inevitable end that each living creature on Earth must one day meet. For centuries, human beings have found a variety of methods, some more creative than others, to deal with the bodies of the deceased. In the United States, the method that we are all probably most familiar with is called embalming, but there is also a myriad of alternatives to embalmment burials. For example, tree pod burials involve placing a whole body in the fetal position into a pod, then burying it into the earth with a tree planted above it. The body inside the eco-friendly pod decomposes and nourishes the soil, and the family of the deceased can continue to tend to the tree as a living memorial. What the fuck? That's fucking weird. <laughs> like and grandma's in the fetal position underneath this tree. Let's all like enjoy the shade. What's the- okay, sorry. Continue. Okay. Another creative burial method is known as a quote unquote space burial and involves sending a small amount of encapsulated human ash into orbit. Over 450 people have had their ashes sent into space since 1992, and the method is becoming more and more popular as time goes on, especially among sci-fi fanatics. Another alternative to traditional burial involves donating one's body to a body farm. A body farm is a research facility where decomposition of the human body can be studied in a variety of settings. There are currently seven research facilities in the United States that are classified as working body farms. These facilities place human corpses in different simulated environments in order to track how the body behaves in different conditions. The research gleaned from these studies is then used for medical, legal, and educational purposes. Natalia, which of those three that I just talked about, which one do you like the most? Or do you not like any of them? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I... Is this episode is going to be about like burial methods? Okay. My thought is the body farm sounds like a strip club, first of all. And (laughs) second of all, it's not. It's like the opposite of a strip club. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's a place where they literally are are growing like bacteria on bodies and watching how that bacteria dissolves the body. Yep. And that's, yeah. I feel like it shouldn't be called that, a body farm. That's a disgusting... Thing. Well, and I also, saw people are going to think they're going to a strip club and they're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw a picture that I'm not sure if it's actually real or not of a body farm. I'm not sure if it was like a recreation or if it was real, but it basically showed like these glass tanks and then like like think of a zoo exhibit and instead of like a polar bear, you're looking at a dead human corpse just laying on like soil or on grass or in like a cold environment like temperature controlled or in a super hot environment and then these scientists watch and observe and take notes as time goes on over how the body breaks down and then that way they can pass off that information to like law enforcement and stuff like that when somebody's murdered then they can track like okay well based on our studies at this body farm 
a body in a similar environment to the one that this murder victim was found would decompose at this rate. And so we know that this person must have been murdered X amount of days ago. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, the whole thing makes sense. And like, yeah, we need it and stuff. I get that. But it's also like (laughs) doesn't need to be called a body farm. Right, right. I feel you. (laughs) Okay. So Natalia, do you want to guess what the most popular burial method in the United States is today? Out of those three? Out of anything, any body, anything oh. you can imagine. Um, I want to say it's cremation, probably because it's more affordable than burying somebody. Is that right? Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Oh, wow. You wow. are correct. You win absolutely nothing except for another <laughs> hour of me talking about dead people. Okay. So... <laughs> Although cremation hasn't always been popular, today cremation accounts for over half of post-death treatments in the United States, meaning that cremation is now more popular than traditional burial, quote-unquote, aka embalming. So I know we Mm. have a wide international audience. When I say traditional burial, I'm talking about modern traditional burial in the U.S. is thought of as embalmment. I know that in other cultures, it's like very unusual to have a body embalmed. And I agree, it's really fucking weird. But that's just traditionally like what you mean, like we embalm, we embalm a body and then we put it in a coffin and then put it in the ground with like a tombstone at a cemetery. That's like a traditional. Yes, that is considered traditional burial in modern U.S. culture. Okay, but that's changing because now cremation is actually probably should be called traditional burial because over 50 percent of people in the U.S. are choosing cremation instead of Mm. um, embalmment. So Mm. some people may be wondering hmm, what is cremation? Well, I'm going to tell you all the ins and outs (laughs) of cremation. Um, Cremation is the process of burning a human corpse at very high temperatures until there are only brittle calcified bones left, which are then pulverized into ashes. These ashes can be kept in an urn, buried, scattered, or even incorporated into objects such as jewelry as part of the last rites of death. The process of cremation is fairly simple. In modern crematories, the body is stored in a cool, temperature-controlled room before being prepared. Preparation includes removing anything from the body that could cause issues at high temperatures. This includes removing pacemakers, which can explode in the heat, prostheses, and silicone breast implants. Ew. They ha- so any implant that you have, um, any... Uh, like yeah like a pacemaker or a prosthetic Ugh. limb all of that stuff has yeah. to be removed before you get sent, sent into the furnace I don't like the idea of dying and then somebody like cutting open my body to retrieve things yeah it's it just very is a gross feeling. that's what I'm saying I feel like this is a gross episode um, yeah. another example of something that would need to be removed from the body prior to incineration would be something called radioactive cancer seeds, which are injectable or implantable radioactive isotopes that are used to treat several types of cancer. So those are just some examples of things you'd have to remove first. And then the body is put into a container or casket made of flammable materials such as plywood, pine, or cardboard. In some countries, workers remove other external items such as jewelry or glasses, while other countries prohibit workers from doing so due to theft concerns and or the wishes of the family. So not only would your body have to be cut open prior to cremation to remove anything you have 
that's like unnatural, quote unquote, inside yourself. But also sometimes they'll remove glass eyes and depending on the country you're in, they'll take your jewelry, they'll take your glasses. And then other countries say, no, you can't do that. It's an ethics concern. You like can't remove that stuff because it's against the family's wishes. Mm. Then the incinerator is preheated to about 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit and a mechanized system that detects the heat inside the cremation chamber automatically opens and a rolling rack of metal pins moves the body quickly into what is known as the primary cremating chamber. Sometimes family members are allowed to watch the cremation from a window or in the case of Hindu cremations, a family member can actually start the fire by pressing a button. Once the door is sealed, the body is subjected to a jet engine-like column of flame aimed at the torso of the body. Because the human body is comprised of around 75% water, the searing flame first must dry the body before it's able to break it down. The cremation chamber, which is just big enough to accommodate one body at a time, looks a little bit like the inside of a pizza oven and can reach temperatures of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. As the soft tissue begins to tighten, burn, and vaporize from the heat, the skin becomes waxy, discolored, blisters, and then splits. (laughs) The muscle begins to char, flexing and extending limbs as it tightens. As a body dries, it can almost appear as if it is dancing, as arms and legs (laughs) flail during muscle breakdown. The bones, which are the last to go, become calcified as they are exposed to the heat and begin to flake or crumble. An average human body takes between two to three hours to burn completely and will produce, on average, anywhere from three to nine pounds of ash. The amount of ash depends usually on the bone structure of the person and not so much on the weight of the person. A newborn, for example, which has mostly cartilage and very little set bone, might not even leave any remains at all after cremation. Once the body is completely burned, the chamber is then cooled, and the cremated remains, which are often still recognizable as human skeletal remains, are swept with a long-handled hoe or wire bristle broom into a tray. Then, a powerful handheld magnet is run through the ash to pick up metal parts left behind, such as fillings, plates, and hip replacements, which can interfere with the grinding process. The bones and remnants are then put into a grinder called a cremulator that uses ball bearings or rotating blades like a blender. The remains are pulverized and poured into a plastic lined container or an urn of the family's choice. So Natalia, I am going to show you a video of the cremation process. Why why are you like this? Like, why did you pick this episode? (laughs) And why did why were you reading that like in a sexy voice? This okay, that's what I asked you last time you tried to scare the shit out of me and you were reading me <laughs> something in a softcore porn voice. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get through the story. Is this episode you're just going to be telling me about preserving bodies? Oh, I can't give it away yet. We're getting there. We're getting to the point of this I don't want to watch a video of the fucking cremation. This sounds well, horrible. Too bad because I know I'm I know sending it to you. I know other cultures that like 
like for example when i was in indonesia there was hindu culture there there was a lot of hindus there and they would like exhume the body out and like carry it and parade it around the street i don't know for what i don't think it's like all the time i think it's like every few years or something and that was like part of the ritual and like people would like take pictures with the body and do things with the body and everything and it was just like everyone was there taking selfies with this body but i feel like we like in america we're so far removed from the process between death and burial and like sometimes even after burial like we'll do closed casket like we don't even want to see that yeah we're very uncomfortable with dead bodies in this culture yeah like we don't want to know about them and that's how i'm feeling right now (laughs) now i have to watch a video and now you gotta watch a video so i sent you a video it is on a youtube channel called bill saint max with two x's the video is called the process of a cremation and a crematorium warning graphic I want you to skip to the two minute and 50 second mark and then the whole process, it'll show you the whole process in about three minutes. So it's two minutes and 50 seconds to five minutes and 50 seconds. I want you to watch. And if you can narrate for our audio listeners what you're seeing, that would be great. God, I really don't want to do this. (sighs) Okay, I'm watching. Okay, there's a body. It's like wrapped in plastic with like things over it. Okay, now I'm seeing, like, some furnaces open that are, like, it literally looks like a red-hot oven with, like, fire. And there's, like, a door creeping up and opening. And, yeah, that looks like a human skull on fire in there. Now there's a guy who's, like, wearing, like, one of those welded masks. And he's kind of, like, stoking the fire. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, he's literally stoking the fire. And you can see just, like, a human skull getting smashed down with this, like tool looks like a long stick rake type thing yeah so it's basically like imagine a shower but instead of water it's a flame (laughs) there's like a flamethrower showering this skeleton and then there's a man who's just like spreading the skeleton out like butter with this knife thing (laughs) okay now the fire is off and they're scraping the this remains of ash into some sort of container and he's sweeping the floor where some of the ash escaped. Now, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> There's a lot of... Now I'm seeing, like, tons of boxes with ashes in them. And, like, okay, now there's a guy that's taking one of these boxes with ashes. And he's dumping it out into what I'm assuming is that grinder thing. Mm-hmm. And there's just, like, pieces of bones and stuff. And he's not wearing any gloves. He's just, like, doing it. Oh, God, it's literally a blender. <laughs> like, Yeah, he's just, like, holding the top of it down. Oh, now he took it out, and he's, like, shaking it around, just like you would do with a blender if you had, like, some pieces of fruit that at the bottom that didn't blend all the way. <laughs> and now he's putting it through a sifter. You're right, he's not wearing any gloves. I didn't notice that the first time I watched this. And then he just handed it to someone else who's not wearing gloves. <laughs> wow. Okay. So the video's over. That was horrifying. <laughs> Yeah. So, Natalia, did anything surprise you about the process of cremation? Yeah. Like, yeah. Tell me. Tell me what jumped out to you. Uh, they're treating <laughs> the, the people that are working there are like literally treating these human remains like they're making smoothies. Like, it doesn't seem to be like this careful sort of process. It's sort right. of just like 
shoving a body in a thing, like blasting it with a frame and the, or flame. And then there's someone who has like a long stick, just like stoking it and like moving it around and trying to flatten out the bigger pieces of bone. And then they just like, like haphazardly just move all these ashes into the it just it seems like very like assembly line sort of and I get it because these are people whose job is literally just like very monotonous like the same thing over and over and over again but that's like what makes it so creepy is just how it's like it's so dehumanized you know right yeah I mean I'm sure like you said if it's your job then it's just like okay got to get from point a to point b I there's 10 steps to get there I do all the steps like for X amount of hours, then I go home and somebody has to do it, right? Because for yeah. some people, cremation is very important from like a religious perspective. Um, and some people like it because it's they think it's less religious. I was reading all these different articles about why cremation rates are increasing in the United States. And I guess it's because in the U.S. we associate embalmment burial with like religious burial. Yeah. Like for a lot of different religions for you need to have like all your organs intact when you're buried um, in order to right. get to quote unquote heaven or you need to be as intact as possible in order to get to heaven. But um, in other cultures, cremation is actually like I read um, in some some Hindu cultures, it's like cremation is normal. And that's like part of the mm-hmm. religious process. But it's so it's yeah. interesting because in our country, cremation is on the rise on the rise because we don't associate it with religion. But something that like really stuck out to me because I didn't know anything about cremation prior to doing this episode Um, I was surprised that after the body like is burned away the calcified bone is still it still looks like a skeleton like you saw that skull and then they just take they take a tool and they smash it and it immediately crumbles right that was like very interesting to me I had no idea I just thought like oh you burn it and then it's ash I didn't realize like all the different parts kind of it was kind of fucked up but that video was sort of giving me asmr because (laughs) it was just like this task getting finished like i'm sorry to say that the video of cremation was giving me asmr (laughs) because he was just like cleaning out like this furnace and sifting things and it was just like you know just sounds and scraping and (laughs) right right well then now we know maybe um I see here's my problem with like all of these videos and pictures I'm not sure if the photo dump for this episode is going to get flagged for graphic content (laughs) or not but if it doesn't then you guys can watch all of this stuff that I'm going to talk about today by going to at let's get haunted if for some reason our post does get taken down I was thinking maybe I'll just put all of these pictures and videos into like a google drive and I'll just link out to it it on on the the website yeah, put it on the put website. Put on the website. Yeah. Good idea. Okay. So, obviously, when we're talking about the preparation of a dead body, there are bound to be some creepy tales about cremation. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about now. So, I want to give you some examples of some creepy shit involving cremation. For example, in 2002, investigators in Georgia from the Environmental Protection Agency received an anonymous tip about a crematory in the city of Noble, Georgia. When they arrived, they found over 330 dead bodies piled or scattered in various states of decomposition in the crematorium's vaults, garages, and in the nearby woods. 
the rotting corpses were nearly unidentifiable, and some had decomposed so badly that there was nothing left but skeletons covered in slime. Why? Why? Well, I'm going to tell you. According to one of the owners, Ray Marsh, the crematory, which was called Tri-State, had stopped burning bodies when their incinerator broke down. Instead of getting it fixed, they inexplicably kept accepting bodies sent to them by funeral homes, stashing the bodies anywhere they could for years. Then they would give the families of the deceased urns full of wood, ash, and cement. Obviously, Ray Marsh was then arrested, but in a bizarre turn of events during the investigation into the incident, it was discovered that the crematorium's incinerator was not broken at all. In fact, it was functioning just fine. This led to Ray Marsh's attorneys subjecting their client to a barrage of psychological tests, which determined that Ray was the victim of mercury poisoning due to poor ventilation in his crematorium. When bodies with tooth fillings are cremated, the process releases mercury vapor into the air. This, combined with the old building's poor ventilation, had given Ray a disease called erethysm, a neurological disorder more commonly known as Mad Hatter's disease. That story makes me very uncomfortable. Yes, it made me very uncomfortable as well. So let me just recap for anyone that doesn't like when I read things like that are written. Basically, what happened is this guy owns a crematorium in Georgia. He has been running this crematorium for years and years. In fact, it was a multi-generational family crematory. And one day he thinks that his incinerator broke down. But rather than tell anybody about it, he keeps accepting all these bodies that are sent to him by various funeral homes. And then when families come to pick up the ash, he's just giving them like wood ash, like bonfire ash, essentially mixed with cement Mm. so that it like has some weight to it. And then keeps putting the bodies, like just stashing them all around his property. So finally, the EPA had gotten a complaint. And it's really unclear who gave them the complaint because obviously it was anonymous. And I'm sure that the person that reported the complaint was like afraid because like this guy is clearly going through some shit. Yeah. And but I guess like the smell obviously would be pretty bad. And when they came and investigated, they just found all of these decaying bodies like stashed in the guy's garage in the crematory vaults, in like the forest that was just outside of his property. Ugh. And then they they arrest him and they start asking him, like, why did you do this? And he's like, oh, the incinerator broke. They test it. The incinerator's working fine. So then they do all these psychological tests and like blood tests on him. And they realize he got mercury poisoning from burning all of these bodies for so many years with poor ventilation. Right. And the fucked up part about this story is that Basically, prior to this event happening, Georgia didn't really have any, like, any laws that would make this illegal. So, (laughs) so all they could charge him with was fraud because he said he was performing a service and then he wasn't performing it. So he only got like 12 years um, maximum. And I think he got out in way less than that because he was also like had Mad Hatter's disease. But this case actually like led to Georgia passing a bunch of laws to make it considered abuse of a corpse to just like abandon a body what the fuck you know what i'm thinking about too Mm. like people who eat the ashes of the dead yeah or smoke the ashes of the dead like that yeah roll it up with weed and smoke it i think tupac's ashes that happened to that his ashes i had a friend who had a friend that died and she ate her ashes and then when kiki my hedgehog died i was like i'm gonna eat the ashes but then I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, my God. If you guys could have seen my face during 
I was like, I w- well, ate- I just kept. I just kept thinking, I was like, oh, I'm going to open it. And like, what if there's like one of her little quills there or something, oh, you know, like it just yeah. would make me too sad. Yeah. I got, um, I had a dog in college whose name was Buckley and he had a pre-existing condition called mega esophagus. Google it. It's terrible. He ended up dying like almost immediately after I got him and I got him cremated. And then my boyfriend at the time decided that he was never going to give me my dog's ashes back. Because he was fucked up. So if you're listening to this, JP, <laughs> fuck you. I want Buckley's ashes back. I think he probably just threw him out and didn't want to tell you. He would like every couple years, he would hit me up and be like, hey, sorry, I've been meaning to give you Buckley's ashes back. Um, Let me know when a good time to meet up is. And then I would be like, okay, here's my address. You can ship it to me or let me know when you're available. I'm available whenever like if I'm not right. at work, I will make time to get my dog's ashes and then I just wouldn't hear from him for years. Okay, so another strange story involving a crematory takes place in 2003 when a crematory owner in Lake Elsinore, California was sentenced to 20 years in prison after it was discovered that he had been illegally selling body parts of people that he had been paid to cremate. The owner would decapitate and dissect the bodies, then send them and sell them off to different research and education facilities. Well, at first I was thinking like, that's smart. But then I was like, you can't say that out loud. (laughs) He's a businessman. Yeah. Right. I was kind of thinking like, that's super brilliant. You know, like he's double Mm -hmm. dipping. He's getting paid to cremate these people, but then he's also getting paid to sell their body parts on the side. It's brilliant. But then I was like, that's got to be illegal, right? Yeah. I mean, like at the very least, it's fraud. Right. Yes. Okay. So it is illegal to do that. So he was arrested and I don't remember how many years. I think he got, did I say 20? Yeah. He got 20 years in prison for that because California apparently has stricter laws than Georgia about this kind of stuff. Um, But something that I found while researching this episode was that the there's this whole industry of like research that just buys body parts like they need it for research purposes but that industry is actually super unregulated so it's illegal to it's illegal to like sell body parts but it's not illegal to buy them you know what i mean okay you want to know what my real thoughts are but i just didn't want to say this out loud I'm just honestly so happy that none of these people are fucking them. Like, you keep telling me, like, in 2000-something, there was a guy. And I'm just, like, the whole time on the edge of my seat, like, oh, is he fucking the dead bodies? Right. And then you're like, he was selling them for parts. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God. It's just a normal fucking guy. The bar is (laughs) so low on this show. Like, (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Like, I keep. The bar for humanity is just in the dirt. Yeah. I'm yeah I'm just so happy that none of these people are fucking the dead bodies that I'm just kind of like almost like slow clap like yeah yeah like you start like your anxiety starts so high and then when I'm like oh no he was just selling the parts you're like oh that's not that bad right yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) okay well in 2014 a strange case took place at a body donation center in Arizona when the FBI raided a company known as biological resource center The company was advertised as accepting donor bodies for, quote, solely medical and or scientific research. Families were told that the bodies of their loved ones would be treated with dignity and any unused remains would be cremated and returned to them. However, acting on an anonymous tip, FBI agents were greeted with a gruesome discovery when the building was raided. According to NBC News, Mark Swinar, a former Phoenix FBI assistant special agent, said the following when testifying in court about what he saw. Quote, I observed a large male torso 
with the head removed and replaced with a smaller female head sewn together in a Frankenstein manner. I observed body parts piled on top of each other throughout the facility with no apparent identification to indicate what bodies they came from or to whom they belonged. Buckets and coolers with various body parts, including a bucket of heads, arms, and legs, were also absent of identification, as were body parts strewn about in freezers. He went on to say that he also observed male torsos without limbs and genitalia and a cooler filled with male genitalia haphazardly piled inside. What the fuck? The body parts that had been sewn together were allegedly done so in order to cremate them and give them to one donor family that had requested the ashes of their loved ones back. But due to poor identification methods, the guy couldn't figure out like which remains were that family's remains. So he was like, oh, I'm just going to sew all of these different body parts together and then cremate it and then it'll look it'll like be the amount of ashes of a normal body what he couldn't just fake it i i wait i'm so confused so hold on why did he do this okay well (laughs) apparently but trust me i'm on board apparently they like never got an answer from the guy like they took him to court because they were like what why was he doing okay that his alibi doesn't make sense because why was he chopping dicks off and putting them in a dick bucket okay what does that have to do with anything well i'm sure his excuse would be like oh i was just gonna sell them to like a dick broker and then they were gonna like (laughs) distribute those to urologist classes at like university but really dick broker (laughs) As you pointed out, like, none of this makes any sense. And also, I think something you hit on early on is, like, when we think of, I don't, like, we're very uncomfortable with the idea of death in the United States, in our culture. Like, we are very uncomfortable with the idea of dead bodies. When you think of, like, what am I going to do after I die? Oh, I want to be embalmed. Oh, I want to be cremated. Oh, I want my body donated to science. Like, that's where our thinking stops. We don't actually think about, like, what that looks like, what that process is like. And I am reading to you the uncomfortable stories of, like, some of these places and the shit they do after they receive those dead bodies. Oh, my God. I'm sure we have some listeners that work in, like, a... Uh, what is it called a moratorium a morgue or a crematorium or a crematorium or yeah, yeah like a morgue or something or whatever and I just got an I want to know like why did you guys get into this how did you guys get into that do you does it freak you out were you freaked out by it or are you is it like a science thing or are you just like excited to dissect stuff like we I need to know more about the kind of people who become morticians yes and there's actually a YouTube channel I don't remember what it is but you jogged my memory um, that I watched a couple years ago and it's called ask a mortician and it's this super cool goth girl and she's a mortician and she just like answers all of your questions about like embalmment and like different forms of burial and it's she's fucking tight so yeah definitely if you guys are like morticians or involved in any of these processes in any way please write us in a listener story because this is very interesting this is very interesting so all of those stories that i've just read to you natalia are examples of human cremation in one form or another and in a perfect world the family of a cremated loved one gets the chance to grieve the death of their loved one, and then receives the corresponding ashes that match their loved one. And this is like a very comforting thing, right? Like when crematories work properly, there is little to no commingling of ashes and receiving an urn of cremains is comforting. Like this is Mm -hmm. something that is very comforting to a lot of people. Right. But the purpose of my... Yes, it's like it's a ritual, right? 
Well, the purpose of my episode today is to talk to you about what happens when human cremation is unexpected. What happens when you don't no. get the chance no. to grieve? Are you going to tell me about? Are you going to tell me about people who accidentally got cremated? I, I, you told me one fucking story about this, and I never forgot that story. And I can't handle a whole hour of stories similar to that. Natalia, have you ever heard of something called spontaneous human combustion? Oh, my God. (laughs) What the fuck? I don't want to do this. (laughs) No, is that just where you explode for no reason? Well, let me tell you about it. We'll discover (laughs) together what spontaneous human combustion is. Oh, my God. Spontaneous human combustion, or SHC as it is often referred to, is a phenomenon in which a perfectly healthy human being seemingly oh my god seemingly <laughs> shut <laughs> up seemingly bursts into flames for no reason. <laughs> Sorry. There's got to be a Burning. reason. Like there's no way there's not a reason. Like you f- either fucked up spiritually <laughs> like or you like uh, we're made of lead somehow <laughs> burning so hot and for so long that their bodies are reduced to a pile of ashes in some instances of shc only a victim's feet or hands are found intact among the splinters of bone and melted human fat according to author larry e arnold who researched the phenomenon for his book ablaze as of 1995 there have been about 200 cited reports of spontaneous human combustion worldwide over a period of about 300 years medically speaking the term spontaneous human combustion has its roots in the 18th century when author and dr paul roley coined the term in 1744 roley wrote an article on the topic in the scientific journal known as philosophical tractions this article brought the concept of SHC to the masses. How is that philosophical at all? <laughs> In his article, he describes SHC as, quote, a process in which a human body allegedly catches fire as a result of heat generated by internal chemical activity, but without evidence of an external source of ignition. While this may sound like the stuff of fairy tales or nightmares, there actually is quite a long list of people dying by fires that seem to start from within their head or chest. The first recorded case of spontaneous human combustion took place in Milan in the late 1400s when a knight named Polonus Vorstius allegedly burst into flames in front of his own parents. The case was recorded what? by Danish medical expert Thomas Bartholin in the Historarium Anatomicarum Rarorium. In his book, Bartholin writes that a knight named Paulinus sat down to dinner with his parents and drank two ladles of wine. Suddenly, Paulinus started belching fire. Shocked, his parents ran to get water. But in a matter of mere seconds, the fire coming from Polonius's mouth engulfed his entire body. Unable to put out the fire, Polonius's body continued to burn until he was dead and reduced to a pile of ashes. Another... I'm nodding my head yeah. now. <laughs> no. An- There's no... Well, how? How? How does that happen? There's like a gas inside of you that makes a chemical reaction. Oh, you! I don't know. Maybe back in the 1400s, people were just like farting, and- eating chemicals. Yeah. These are great <laughs> questions, Natalia. 
Another well-known example of SHC is the 18th century mystery of innkeeper Nicole Millet, as recorded by Frenchman Jonas Dupont in his book Spontaneous Human Combustion, published in 1763. The story goes that Nicole Millet was the wife of innkeeper Jean Millet. Together, the two owned the Lion d'Or Inn in Reims, France. Jean was allegedly having an affair with one of the inn's staff, and his wife Nicole had retreated into a depression, heavily drinking most days. On February 20, 1725, Nicole was in the kitchen of the inn when her body inexplicably burst into flames. By the time the blaze was extinguished, only her skull and a few bones from her back and lower legs remained. A straw bed near her corpse and various wooden items near her body had remained completely untouched by the fire. Her husband was subsequently tried for her murder and found guilty, but he was eventually acquitted thanks to the testimony of a surgeon named Dr. Claude Nicolas Lecat, a guest at the inn who was there when the smell of smoke awoke the house and Nicole's body was discovered. Due to the surgeon's testimony, the judge presiding over the case finally ruled that Nicole died because of a, quote, visitation from God as punishment for her heavy drinking. F- f- yeah, first of all, how is, why would God smite her for heavy drinking but not her husband for adultery? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of problems with that theory. But the main thing I want you to understand is that this lady was literally just standing in her kitchen next to a straw bed and a bunch of wooden items. Straw and wood are both very flammable. Yet Mm -hmm. she, her body, which is 75% water, caught on fire. She burned completely through her whole body. She cremated herself and nothing around her was touched. Yeah, I don't like that story. Also, the first case, the guy was drinking wine. Second case, the girl was drinking wine. And they both burst into flames. So what is the deal with this 14th century wine? Right. Yeah. I think we got to ask the tough questions here. Now, the next recorded case of spontaneous human combustion comes from Paul Rowley's article published in 1744 that I mentioned earlier. His article analyzes the mysterious death of Countess Cornelia Zangaheri Bandi. Cornelia was an Italian noblewoman born in 1664 who is best known for the odd circumstances surrounding her death in 1731. During her last dinner, the 66-year-old countess reportedly seemed, quote, dull and heavy. Some accounts report that the countess was a brandy brandy drinker and that she used to sprinkle camphorated brandy on her body to relieve physical pain. The maid accompanied her to her room after dinner, and the two spent over three hours chatting and praying. The maid left her mistress already asleep. The next day, when she did not get up at the usual time, she went to wake her and found the remains of the countess. The room was full of soot. The body of the countess had been reduced to a pile of ashes that was little more than one meter from the bed, although her lower legs below the knee, three fingers, and the front of her skull were relatively intact. The bed and the rest of the furniture had not been affected by the fire, but were covered by a greasy and smelly layer. On the floor, there was an oil lamp covered with ashes, but without any oil. There were also two candles in the room, but the wicks were completely untouched and intact. 
The way the sheets were found seemed to indicate that the Countess had risen while on fire at some point during the night. It was later surmised that her torso had disintegrated as she stood, and her skull had simply dropped into the pile of ashes below. The fuck? The full account by Paul Rowley reads as follows. The Countess Cornelia Bandy, in her 66th year of her age, was all day as well as she used to be, but at night was observed when at supper dull and heavy. She retired, was put to bed, where she passed three hours and more in familiar discourses with her maid and in some prayers. At last, falling asleep, the door was shut. In the morning, the maid, taking notice that her mistress did not awake at her usual hour, went into the bedchamber and called her, but not being answered, doubting of some ill accident, opened the window and saw the corpse of her mistress in this deplorable condition. Four feet distance from the bed, there was a heap of ashes, two legs untouched, from the foot to the knee, with their stockings on. Between them was the lady's head, whose brains, half of the back part of the skull, and the whole chin were burnt to ashes, amongst which were found three fingers blackened. All the rest was ashes, which had this particular quality that they left in the hand when shaken up a greasy and stinking moisture. The air in the room also observed cumbered was soot floating in it. A small oil lamp on the floor was covered with ashes, but no oil was in it. Two candles and candlesticks upon a table stood upright. The cotton was left in both, but the tallow was gone and vanished. Somewhat of moisture was about the feet of the candlesticks. The bed received no damage, the blankets and sheets were only raised on one side, as when a person rises up from it or goes in. The whole furniture, as well as the bed, was spread over with moist and ash-colored soot, which had penetrated into the chest of drawers, even to foul the linens. Nay, the soot was also gone into a neighboring kitchen, and hung on the walls, movables, and utensils of it. From the pantry, a piece of bread covered with that soot was brown-black, was given to several dogs, all of which refused to eat it. <laughs> In the room above it was moreover taken notice that from the lower part of the windows trickled down a greasy and loathsome yellow liquor, and thereabout this they smelled like a stink, without knowing of what, and saw the soot fly around. It was remarkable that the floor of the chamber was so thick smeared with a gluish moisture that it could not be taken off, and the stink spread more and more throughout the other chambers. That's horrifying. Yeah, that's fucking horrifying. Also, they tried to feed it to a dog. Yeah, this this woman basically exploded all over the room. Correct. She exploded in a fiery blaze. Her something, some greasy moisture was all over everything. Her soot had permeated into different rooms during the night. It had gotten on bread. Then they tried to feed Ugh. the bread to the dogs, and the dogs were like, oh, fuck no. <laughs> like, also, basically they're saying that, like, she is a pile of ashes, right? Except for her skull and her f- legs. I'm showing Natalia my leg on Zoom right yeah, now. from the from knee the down. From the knee down. 
is still intact. Like the skin is there, the bones are there, everything is there. It's just everything else is ashes. She was a witch. She was a witch. All these people are <laughs> witches. That's the only thing I can think of. So Paul Rowley notes in his book that although there was no proof, the coroner had determined that the culprit of the cause of the countess's death must have been a ball of lightning that had entered through the chimney and struck the countess in her bed. I feel like that seems as likely as spontaneous <laughs> human combustion. Right. Right. Yeah. Like what in the fuck? Like her bed isn't burned. The candles. Yeah. They, they said that there were candles next to her bed and the wick is completely intact and not burned. But the wax had melted because obviously she was on fire and like right. the heat from her fire melted the wax. But the, the cotton insert on the inside, like the wick is totally not burned at all. Yeah. And then there's there's an oil lamp underneath her, but there's mm-hmm. no oil Right. Like it had never been lit. It was never lit at all. It was just laying there on the floor. And so like that can't have started the fire either. Right. So that's why the coroner was like, all right, here's the deal. She's either a witch or there was lightning coming down the chimney that like hit her in her bed. And I just feel like if random lightning comes into your house through your chimney and strikes you dead, like you're probably a witch. Too, right. right. Well, remember in the episode with James and Elise Willems where we talked about um, in certain parts of Europe, they thought that if you got struck by lightning, that it was literally God smiting you and that yeah. they just like left your body there. They were like, hey, here's a reminder that like this <laughs> bitch was haunted. <laughs> right. Don't be like Allie who had a haunted podcast. She got what she deserved. <laughs> Oh, so creepy. I would hope that if I exploded all over a room, that people wouldn't be like, wow, twas so strange, this room <laughs> covered in a grease most foul. Hmm. <laughs> and I wish people would just like, l- like not write articles about it. Like, just let me live yeah just you know, like, or let me die like just yeah. i don't want to be remembered for that at all yeah like clean it up and don't investigate it at all and in fact like kill anyone that saw me in that state because <laughs> we need this tale to not leave the room that i exploded in okay so the next documented case of spontaneous human combustion came just 13 years after the death of cornelia when grace pett a resident of england perished in 1744 after bursting into flames in her home grace was the 60 year old wife of an ipswich fisherman who on the evening of april 9th 1744 had been celebrating the return home of one of her daughters The women sat up talking and drinking until about 10 p.m. when they both retired to bed. Since Grace's husband was out at sea, her daughter was sharing the room with her. As she was getting ready for bed, Grace turned to go back downstairs to the living room. Her daughter was tired and fell asleep before her mother returned. What happened in the following hours, no one could say for sure. Upon waking up at around 6 a.m., Grace's daughter found herself alone in the bed with no sign of her mother. Concerned, she made her way downstairs where a gruesome sight awaited her. Grace's body was, quote, burning with a glowing fire but without flames. And although her daughter attempted to extinguish the fire with two bowls of water, she was too late to save her mother. Grace's ankles and feet sticking out of the fireplace were the only parts of her untouched by the flames. It was reported that, quote, 
The trunk of the body was in a manner burnt to ashes and appeared like a heap of charcoal covered with white ashes. The head, arms, legs, and thighs were also very much burnt. During the investigation that followed, Grace's daughter insisted that she could think of no reason why her mother would have gone back downstairs other than to smoke a pipe, of which she was in the habit. She also swore that although gin had been freely consumed the night before, Grace was not an alcoholic. A Mr. Love, who had attended the coroner's inquest into Grace's death, reported in a letter to his brother that, quote, Her body was found quite burnt, lying upon the brick hearth in the kitchen, where no fire had been. With the candlestick standing by her and the candle burnt out, with which she had lighted herself down, the floor under the body, along with clothes and a paper screen nearby, were completely untouched. There was nothing in evidence to explain how a fire had been produced that would be hot enough to reduce Grace Pett's body to mere ashes. After much investigation, a verdict of accidental death was returned, though from what was unclear. There were some, however, who thought they knew the answer, for it turned out that Grace Pett was not well regarded in the area, and with a reputation amongst her neighbors for being a witch... It was not long before rumors began regarding the real cause of her death. A Mr. Garnham lived at Purdy Farm, two miles outside of Ipswich. The welfare of his sheep had caused him great consternation of late, as they seemed to be stricken by a strange disease that caused them to, quote, whirl around and cut sundry strange capers. The animals eventually died of their unexplained ailment, and it was suggested to him that the sheep had been bewitched. Following the advice of his wife, Mr. Garnham consulted a Mr. Winter, a local man from Ipswich who was held in high regard. Garnham was duly instructed to burn one of his diseased sheep alive. What? Winter assured him that if he did so, the suspected witch would appear at the scene in great distress. The ritual would only work if those present remained silent. But if they did the person guilty of bewitching the animals would be consumed, just as the burning animal was destroyed by the flames. So accordingly, a large fire was set up, though the sheep struggled so much that the plan was modified somewhat, with the poor creature finally being crammed into the oven instead. It was not oh quite big enough to fit the unfortunate animal, however, and the bound feet remained hanging outside of the oven. It was rumored that the same night as the sheep burnt, Grace Pett was seen making her way over Bishop's Hill toward Garnham's farm, clearly in great agony and screaming as she went. She then, according to the tale that spread, took herself home where she lay down in her own fireplace, only to be consumed by fire, all except for her feet and hands, which, much like the sheep's feet, were untouched. News of Grace's death spread quickly, and the curious came from miles around to view the perplexing remains. The coroner determined that Grace had died due to spontaneous human combustion, but the townsfolk privately believed that she died because she was a witch. Yeah, I feel like she was a witch. I feel like all these people were witches, and I know I, I'm the one who did the Salem Witch Trial episode where I was like, witches aren't, aren't real, but now I feel the opposite. I think maybe maybe the Salem witches all were witches. Yeah. Mm. Because why are these people spontaneously combusting? Well, I'm trying to think, too. They were all drinking, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. this woman, too, she drank a lot. Not that day, they said, but she did drink. What if their insides, what if their, like, blood alcohol content was just, like, so high 
that they were literally flammable. Who's to say? Uh, at the very end, we're going to talk about the theories that people have proposed. And you're, you're not far off. That is one of the theories. So the case of Grace Pett seemed to be the catalyst that inspired wider scientific interest in the phenomenon of spontaneous human combustion. A pattern was starting to appear in the documented cases of SHC. Just like you said, Natalia, alcohol was almost always present and the victim's mm -hmm. surroundings were always left strangely undamaged by flame. A year after Grace's untimely demise by fire, author Paul Rowley again wrote another study in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London. He put forth a theory that gases and intestinal waste combined with alcohol had caused these people to spontaneously ignite from within. By the 19th century, the concept of SHC had spread to popular Victorian books and was even used by Charles Dickens in his novel Bleak House to kill off one of his characters, a drunk shopkeeper named Crook. Throughout the 19th century, there were many reports of spontaneous human combustion. One of the first victims during this time was a 22-year-old woman named Phyllis Newcomb. According to reports, she was leaving a dance at the Shire Hall in England when she suddenly burst into flames. The flames started on her dress. Phyllis ran back to the ballroom, where about 20 people were talking together in small groups. They saw her stumble inside, all ablaze, collapsing in the entrance. A Mr. Herbert Jewell immediately took action. He and five others rushed to the rescue, wrapping her in coats. An ambulance was called, which arrived in 20 minutes, and Phyllis was taken to Chelmsford Hospital, where she later succumbed to her injuries. Immediately after the accident, it was conjectured that the dress had caught fire through contact with a cigarette end or a lighted match thrown down from a higher place above the stairs. But witnesses hadn't seen anybody up there. And moreover, Phyllis's father, George, had been experimenting with the tool, and he had found that it would not catch on fire by contact with a burning cigarette, let alone by a grazing contact, such as with a falling cigarette end or by the hem of the dress sweeping over it. It's nearly impossible to set fire to a piece of cloth with a lighted cigarette. Coroner L.F. Beckel was in charge of the investigation into Phyllis's death, and through his investigation it was determined that there were no cigarette butts or matches in the area where Phyllis's dress caught fire. Coroner Beckel gave the following quote to several newspapers covering the story at the time. Quote, in my experience, I have not met anything so very mysterious as this. While there are many other reports of SHC in the 19th century, things don't really start to get interesting until the 1930s. In the 20th century, when the widespread access to cameras led to photographic evidence, cases of spontaneous human combustion finally began to hit mainstream newspaper headlines. <sighs> Grisly photos of those who had met their fate at the hands of SHC were splashed across the front pages of articles, igniting the curiosity of the world. One of the first documented cases of SHC in the 20th century is eerily similar to the death of Phyllis Newcomb. In Chelmsford, England ballroom in 1938, a woman named Mabel Andrews was engulfed in flames at the top of the stairs in front of her horrified fiancé and a room of partygoers with no apparent source of fire in the room. Mabel was reduced to a pile of ashes before emergency services could arrive. In 1951, Floridian Mary Reeser's lower legs were found propped up against her armchair, the rest of her burned to oblivion, though a pile of loose newspaper beside the chair remained unburned. 
What? 62-year-old Mary Reeser is considered one of the most famous cases ever of spontaneous human combustion. And yes, I have the photos to show you, Natalia. On July 2nd, 1951, her smoldering remains were found by a neighbor and some house painters. She had been sitting in an easy chair when the incident happened. Her left foot was still wearing a slipper and remained completely intact, and only the corner of the room and the chair she was sitting in had been burnt at all. The apartment's walls were covered in a greasy, smelly substance. Firemen, police, and pathologists examined Mrs. Reeser's remains and also found her liver, which was fused to a lump of vertebrae, and her skull, which had shrunk to the size of a baseball by the unusually intense heat. According to a neighbor's account, she found Reeser's doorknob smoldering hot on the 2nd of July. She immediately asked for help from two workers, and they found Reeser sitting on her chair burned. Police officers and a pathological doctor investigated the incident. Based on the examination, the apartment wall was covered in that greasy substance that I talked about, but the rest of the apartment was intact. The electrical outlet melted only after the fire had begun, meaning that electricity was not the cause of the start of the fire. Mary Reeser's temperature reached around 2,500 degrees, which can cause a fire in the entire apartment. Um, A cigarette igniting her clothing would never have produced this temperature. Nevertheless, the investigators concluded that she must have fallen asleep with a cigarette in her hand and then cremated herself. Let me send you pictures, Natalia, of what this looked like when people arrived at the scene. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying I don't know if, like, this is allowed, like, if I'm allowed to post this stuff. Okay. I'm sending you three photos if you can describe them to our audience. Whoa, my God. Oh, my God. This is horrible. Okay. So I'm looking at a black and white photo of... A bunch of ash and then literally just like a human leg with a shoe on it. And (laughs) this is super morbid. A woman, it's like a side-by-side photo of like a woman alive smiling. And then next to it, it's just that photo of the ash with the human leg next to it to be like, this is before, (laughs) this is after. It's fucking (laughs) wild. Like her leg, can you describe to people like the leg looks fine, right? Yeah, it looks fine. And then it's just like literally underneath the knee looks like it's just dissolved okay and then and then it looks like a bunch of guys just like sifting through ash disgusting and then can you read can you read the caption on that last photo oh yeah it says mary reeser of saint petersburg florida was a victim of human combustion in 1951 objects nearby were untouched by fire and her remaining leg was virtually unmarked by the blaze Professor Wilton Krogman from University of Pennsylvania said, quote, I find it hard to believe that a human body, once ignited, will literally consume itself, as does a candle wick, guttering in the last residual pool of melted wax. This case still haunts me. Yeah, so he's basically saying you turn into a human candlestick, right? Like your clothes are the wick. Yeah. And then your fat is like the wax right? Right. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, but he's saying it's unlikely. Like it doesn't, because as we learned from the beginning where I was talking about cremation, you literally, you have to burn so high at such a high temperature to get a human body to disintegrate because we're 75% water. Yeah, exactly. And And she reached that temperature and was able to crumble, but then her leg is totally fine. 
And the case of Mary Reeser is literally the most popular case of spontaneous human combustion in history. And if you guys are interested in that case, I saw BuzzFeed Unsolved did a video on it. Um, so they go into like great detail about it. But this episode is just about the concept of spontaneous human combustion. So I'm not going to talk about Mary Reeser that much. <sighs> okay, the next case of SHC. On May 18th, 1957, Anna Martin, 68 years old, of West Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, was found incinerated, leaving only her shoes and a portion of her torso. The medical examiner estimated that temperatures must have reached between 1,700 degrees to 2,000 degrees, yet newspapers two feet away from her body were found completely intact, not even singed. On January 31, 1959, 72-year-old Jack Larber, a patient at the Laguna Honda home in San Francisco, had his clothing mysteriously catch fire a few minutes after being fed, while his attendant was out of the room. Said attendant put out the fire with blankets immediately, but Larber later died from his injuries on February 2nd of third-degree burns. Larber was a non-smoker, and no explanation was ever found for how the fire started. Mm. Which On November 8, 1964, an elderly woman named Helen Conway died from spontaneous human combustion in Pennsylvania. And Natalia, I have a photo of this one. Hmm. This one is not fun to, to look at. Well, which one of these have been fun? None. Not at all. <laughs> and if you can read the caption. Okay. What the? F this is super fucked up. Ah, uh, okay. It literally, I, it's, there's just like legs and then nothing. It's and, insane. And like a burnt up corner. What is this? It says, this is, okay. I'm literally looking at a corner of a room that looks like it got burned up. And then there's just a pair of legs like coming out of this corner that don't appear to be attached to anything. It says, this was all that remained of Helen Conway of Pennsylvania on November 8, 1964, after she reportedly caught fire. The evidence stated that she was a heavy smoker, and the fire may have been caused by a cigarette or match. Neither answers the critical question. How can a moist and non-flammable human body catch fire? These photos are very wild, and I'm, I'm going to send you another one. So on December 5th, 1966, Dr. John Irving Bentley's remains were found by a meter reader in, in his bathroom. All that was left of him were ashes and the left leg and foot. A hole in the floor was the fire's only evidence. The remainder of the house was intact. So let me send you this photo. Oh, I guess I guess I don't have the photo on my phone. But I'll so let me describe this photo to you, Natalia. Um, he's in his restroom. It looks like basically what they, the coroner figured out is that he it looks like he had caught fire while laying in his bed and he was like very, very old and had a walker and he had gotten up while on fire and used his walker to walk to the bathroom, probably to put his himself out, like to get in the shower. And he mm. ended up collapsing in a pile of ashes in front of his toilet before he could put himself out. Ugh. How are these people burning up so fast? Too? That's the other thing. Yeah, it's it's normally when we think of a fire, you you would assume that like a, a neighbor would smell the smoke or see the fire or the rest of the house would go up in flames and, mm -hmm. you know, they'd be able to come in and 
most of the body would be left. But in all of these cases, it's just like a leg or a hand that's left. Right. Yeah, it's like the person has become flammable from the inside out. And in 1967, a passenger on a bus in England noticed blue flames in the window of an apartment building hallway. She thought it was a gas jet and called the fire brigade. When they got to the place, they supposedly found the body of Robert Francis Bailey, a homeless man. A fireman reported seeing a slit in the man's abdomen from which blue flames were issuing. So, like, imagine there's just this guy laying down (gasps) outdoors, like, on the sidewalk. And you come up to him and literally his stomach, there are flames coming out of his stomach. Like, there's Mm. a cut in his stomach and just flames coming out of it. This is why it's you just can't afford to be constipated because now every time I'm just going to make sure I'm never constipated because the fact that I could just spontaneously combust like these people, these people's like intestines and stomach and stuff are catching fire because there's so much gas in there, right? Right. Well, that's one of the theories. Nobody really knows for sure. And then the next case happened on May 12th, 1977, when the charred body of Madame Jeanette Cosmerchak was discovered in her apartment in Uruf, France. Jeanette lived with her husband and son in France in the 1970s, and when her husband disappeared mysteriously, Jeanette contacted the authorities to try to find him. They couldn't find anything, and a few days later, while her son was out with some friends, a neighbor found Jeanette's body, completely reduced to ashes except for her legs, in an otherwise completely undisturbed apartment. So I'm going to send you the picture. This one I thought was also... I mean, they're all really hard to look at, but this one is... Okay. Well, yeah, this one's hard to look at because it's in color. So I'm looking at a skeleton that is covered in ash from the thighs up it's like a black skeleton surrounded in like gray ash and then from the thighs down are legs like human legs with no yeah oh very gross now we move on to march 4th 1980 when an elderly woman's body was discovered in chorley england completely disintegrated except for her legs from the calf down The coroner could find no reasonable explanation for her death and decided to rule it, quote, accidental after falling into a fireplace. However, experts have noted that the way the body burned was not characteristic of what happens when somebody falls into a fireplace. Firefighter Tony McMunn reopened the case and concluded that the woman had died of spontaneous human combustion. He would go on to dedicate his life to researching other cases of SHC after he dealt with this particular case. So let me send you a photo of what they found when this woman spontaneously combusted. Why? Why did you? How did you get the idea of to do this episode? Because it's I don't know, because it's scary. I like for me, I've talked about this before on this podcast. I am so afraid of dying. And I think that's why this episode was so triggering for me. But also, it's fucking weird. It's an unexplained mystery. You know, like nobody can figure out why this is happening to people. Okay. So it is, all these pictures look very similar. It's always seems to be that like from the knee up, there's just a pile of ash. And then from the knee or below the knee down, there's just feet like and legs untouched. 
It's weird that the legs don't burn up. There's even more examples that I'm going to give you. So in October of 1980, Jenna Winchester burst into flames while sitting in a car next to a friend who saw yellow flames coming from her and heard her scream for help. Jenna survived the experience with 20% of her body being burned, but nobody could ever figure out where the fire had come from. So this is somebody who survived Oh, my God. Talk about PTSD. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure. Like, it didn't come from the car. They did this huge investigation. Didn't come from the car. um, Didn't come from a cigarette. She didn't even smoke. She was driving in a car. She wasn't drunk. She just burst into flames and survived. And she doesn't even know. Like, she has no opinion of what happened to her. Oh, my God. And then John Lucille Safin, a 61-year-old mentally handicapped woman, burst into flames in her kitchen on September 15, 1982. It is said that her father, who was seated at a nearby table, saw a flash of light out of the corner of his eye and turned to find that his daughter was completely enveloped in flames, mainly around her face and hands. The fire was put out with water by Mr. Safin and his son-in-law, Don Carroll. Jean was brought to a hospital as soon as the fire had been extinguished. However, she died of burn complications eight days later. The flesh on her face, hands, and abdomen had entirely burnt away down to the subcutaneous fat. Don Carroll claimed he saw flames coming from Jeannie's mouth and said she was, quote, roaring like a dragon, although no burns were found inside Jeannie's mouth. The description of Jeannie breathing fire before her head became engulfed has eerie parallels to the story of the night discussed at the beginning of this episode in the very first case of SHC, and no cause of the fire that killed her was ever found. (sighs) And now we move on. To 1986. So we're coming closer and closer to present day. On March 25th, 1986, a 58-year-old former firefighter named George Mott was watching an episode of The Twilight Zone in his apartment when he burst into flames and oh died. Oh, God. <laughs> when he was found that night, what remained of him was mostly the ashes on the floor beneath his mattress, which his body had apparently burnt a hole through. Reports are, like, very contradictory for, like, what exactly was left of him. Wikipedia says that um, his skull was found and that it was shrunk, much like Mary mm. Reese skull was um and that they also found a piece of rib cage and others say that it was his shrunken skull and the lower half of his right leg so all we know is that it for sure his skull and that it was shrunk down like mary reese's skull was and then some other bone it could have either been the lower (sighs) half of his right leg or a piece of rib cage but basically the evidence shows that like he caught on fire burnt a hole through his mattress all the way down to the floor so like his ashes were dropped onto the floor underneath his mattress Mm -hmm. and nobody knows how the fire started what so creepy now we're going to move into the 1990s a young brazilian woman in the 1990s burst into flames as she was strolling down the street according to reports bystanders even tried to stop the flames but they couldn't save her The incident allegedly happened in a matter of seconds, and the poor girl burned to death and was also reduced to ashes. Oh, no. Also in the 1990s, John O'Connor, a 76-year-old Irishman, was found dead in his living room by the community nurse who regularly visited him. His remains were in a chair. Only his head, upper torso, and feet remained untouched. There was little smoke damage to the room and furniture. Quote, it was as if somebody had poured petrol into Jackie's lap, said local parish priest Father Patrick McCarthy. From the knees down, the bones were intact. The upper part, the chest, and the head were very badly scorched through and through. The chair was burned. 
there were about five inches of two of the legs left there. According to the Irish Independent, Assistant Chief Fire Officer Jerry O'Malley said fire officers were satisfied that after a thorough investigation, an open fire in Mr. Fireteas fireplace was not the cause of the blaze which led to his death. No traces of accelerant were found at the scene, and there was no sign that anyone else had entered or left Mr. Fireteas home at 64 Clareview Park, Ballybane, Galway City. According to the Irish Times, the coroner, Dr. McLaughlin, was quoted as saying, quote, This fire was thoroughly investigated, and I am left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is no adequate explanation. In 2016, an alleged case of human combustion was caught on camera in Serbia, making it the first possible case of spontaneous human combustion caught on film. So, Natalia, I am going to send you... Yeah, I need to see this, finally. Finally, there is a possible case caught on camera. Did this person die? No, this person did not die. Oh, I was going to be like, oh, great, I'm going to watch someone die right now. So, this is a dailymail.co.uk article called... In, is this video proof of spontaneous human combustion? <laughs> Written by Corey Charlton. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, if you scroll down, you should see the video and you can push play. This video contains footage some viewers may find upsetting. Well, I hope so. I hope some people find it I hope everyone finds it upsetting. Yeah, right? Someone's walking up to a man who looks like his shirt's on fire. Why is he not freaking out? Why uh, is good question. Why is this guy not freaking out that his shirt's on fire? Okay, what? Yeah, this says the unidentified man was filmed lying calmly in the street while his stomach and chest was on fire. Yeah, why is he not freaking out? Was this guy just wasted? Like, what was his deal? Nobody knows. This happened in Serbia. So the information that we have is really limited. Um, Apparently in the video, like a man starts filming and approaching the guy that's on fire. And he says, hello, hello, what's happening? And then the burning man waves him away as if lying covered in flames is the most natural thing in the world, says the article. Right. This video was posted on a Facebook page called Live from the Streets of Novi Sad. Um, And according to the information, they received the video at the end of November last year. With so this was this would have happened in 2016, with mm-hmm. one commenter saying that the man is known on the streets of Navi Sad for problematic behavior, but that he lived. <laughs> Whoa, he's known for problematic behavior. What does that mean? Does that mean he just sets himself on fire, or does that mean he's being punished? <laughs> like what? I feel like that's the answer right there. What's problematic behavior? <laughs> right. Like, so, but people say that this is the first and only example of spontaneous human combustion caught on film. Well, maybe that's why everyone burns up because if they're as calm as that, that guy looked like he just didn't care. He was like, I'm burning, just let it be. Right. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah. So, most people catch on fire by themselves. And I have another picture that I just sent you, Natalia. Um, this one is real, but they, I don't know who it is of. I'm not sure. Oh, my God. What the picture. I don't know who the victim in the photo yeah, it is. Yeah, literally, it's just another one of those ash piles. This is a chair covered in ash. And then there's just, like, legs, like, dangling. It almost looks like someone took a mannequin and then cut the legs off the mannequin and just burned the rest of it. Like, the legs are just so out of place. I don't know. In this, like, pile right. of ash. Like, 
So weird. Yeah, and the chair doesn't look like it's burned at all or anything. So now let's discuss the theories surrounding spontaneous human combustion. Theory number one is struck down by God. In Mm. this theory, it is proposed that because the majority of those who perished by SHC were known to consume alcohol or smoke, that God struck them down for partaking in gluttony, a.k.a. drinking to excess or being alcoholic. Well, then I should have burned up in college. Yeah, absolutely. How does that explain student populations, you know? Yeah, debunked for sure. Okay, theory number two, punishment for being a witch. This theory comes from the story of Grace Pet that I read you earlier, where a farmer set a live sheep on fire because it was bewitched, and then Grace, the witch who supposedly bewitched the sheep, magically burst into flames in a similar way. I hate that one because how does the people who killed a sheep by like the most traumatic way ever not get spontaneously combusted? Yeah. Well, maybe it's a point in their in their favor then because they didn't spontaneously combust but grace did Mm -hmm. but also that's that story like kind of makes me laugh because in that story they literally go find some dude and they're like hey do you know what magic ritual we can perform to make a witch reveal herself (laughs) and i'm like how is that dude not considered a witch (laughs) right (laughs) yeah i know it's like it's bullshit so now we get to theory number three which is ball lightning This theory comes from the story of the countess who died and the coroner thought maybe a ball of lightning had come down her chimney and set her on fire. Do you remember that one? Yeah, but wouldn't that just be the same as getting smited by God? Because like, what are the odds? Well, I think the difference is it's theory number one is God smites somebody. So that could be with a bolt of lightning or just being like fire and then they're on fire. Whereas this one is like a natural phenomenon called ball lightning is the reason why these people are dying. They get struck by this natural phenomenon. I get that. It's just like the odds of that happening to you are so rare that like you must be haunted. Therefore, you're smited by God. So according to an article written by Hazel Muir in The New Scientist, quote, ball lightning is still baffling, scientists admit in a new report. They think the wisdom of more than 10 fields of science will need to explain the will be needed to explain the bizarre effect. Glowing spheres of ball lightning float above the ground for up to a minute, usually when thunderstorms are nearby. Eyewitness reports have often been dismissed as fantasy, but with around 10,000 sightings over the past few decades, scientists are now convinced that it really exists. A new report from the UK's Royal Society gathers many previously unpublished sightings of ball lightning. One describes how a luminous ball left a hole the size of a basketball in a screen door as it entered a house in Oregon, then navigated down to the basement and wrecked an old mangle. In another, an 80-centimeter glowing blob bounced on a Russian teacher's head more than 20 times before vanishing. But explaining the reports is extremely tricky. Ball lightning can shine as brightly as a 100-watt light bulb, but has no obvious power supply. It does not radiate heat, yet it can melt glass when it floats into windows. A leading theory suggests that ball lightning forms when a lightning strike vaporizes silica in soil. The silicon vapor condenses into a fine dust that is bound together by electrical charges into a floating ball, which would oxidize and glow. 
Quote, I am confident at this stage that the answer lies in the general direction of chemical reactions with very finely distributed particles, says John Abrams- Abramson, a chemical engineer at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch, New Zealand. Another possibility is that air ionized by lightning could bind with water to gr- create a hot ball of plasma with a cool water and ion coat. But the new report says that none of the current theories tells the whole story. Ball lightning is probably the product of a family of different processes. Lab simulations of these processes can make many ball lightning, but it is far smaller than natural versions and does not live nearly as long. So, Natalia, I sent you a video of possible ball lightning, if you can describe it to our audience. Okay. Yeah, just hearing that description, that is not a natural thing. That is a ghost. Like, they're saying this is a haunted blob of glowing orb that comes into your house one of them crashed through the screen door Mm -hmm. and then went downstairs and fucked with stuff another one like bounced around on a russian person's (laughs) head like that is not a lightning that is a ghost it could be maybe it's a lightning ghost okay i'm looking at this video lions colorado june 2001 is it a firefly is it a plane is it a ufo there were two really bright lightning bolts and right in the middle for about 10 seconds there was this glowing ball of light we, we never seen anything like that it seems to be a rare and mysterious phenomenon called ball lightning nobody knows what ball lightning is i mean understanding normal lightning is difficult enough but ball lightning is something t- entirely different yet it has been seen by thousands of people all over the world and their descriptions are strikingly consistent. Most people describe ball light, lightning as being about the same size and brightness as a 60-watt light bulb. So suppose you're sitting in your living room and there's a thunderstorm outside. You look out your window and you see this floating along. Yeah, it's a ghost. Your window. You then see it comes through the glass into your living room, approaches you, and then suddenly either exploding or quietly disappears. Yeah, that's, no, that's a ghost. I don't believe in ball lightning. Yeah. I believe in ghosts. And that's what that is. And I think that that ball lightning was trying to fuck with that Russian teacher, whoever it was. And they were just yeah, like, no. Yeah, on their head. Yeah. yeah, they were like, no, I'm not doing this today. And then it was like, okay, I'll go haunt someone else. Right. So that video comes from the Weather Channel on YouTube, and the video title is Strangest Weather on Earth, Balls of Lightning, in case you guys want to look at it. I'm also going to post it to the Instagram account. I also don't believe that as a valid theory, because if we think that ball lightning causes these, then how come it didn't set that Russian teacher on fire? Yeah, so that's that's one of the points towards debunking that theory, is that, yeah, you're totally right. If how why is it that some people can interact with ball lightning and be completely unscathed and then other people react with ball lightning and like burst into flames it doesn't make any sense because they're witches okay so it could be a combination perhaps it is ball lightning ghosts and witches so (laughs) that brings me to theory number four psychic suicide and this theory is kind of a mashup of scientific and paranormal theory Basically, there are some animals in nature that can actually will themselves to explode. Have you ever heard of this, Natalia? No. Who can do that? The two main examples are ants and frogs. So according to an article in Science Magazine written by Matt Warren, 
To protect their nests from invaders, some worker ants make the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. They explode, releasing a toxic fluid from their abdomens to kill the intruder, and in the process themselves. Now, scientists have described a new species of exploding ant found in Brunei, the New York Times reports. The researchers studied a nest of ants they found outside their field center, comprehensively examining each cast of the colony and sequencing the ants' DNA, making it the first new species of exploding ant to be officially described since the 1930s. The researchers had previously referred to the species with the nickname Yellow Goo, but now have been given an official name, Calabopsis explodens. (laughs) Specifically... Specifically, certain species of ants have suicide bomber ants. When these suicide bomber ants encounter enemies, such as ants from another colony, they will literally will themselves to explode, causing a chemical to cover the enemies around them. This chemical is extremely sticky, and when it dries, will immobilize any enemy ants, uh, eventually resulting in them dying. So, apparently there are other animals in, like, in the animal kingdom that can will themselves to explode. I found one example where frogs did this, but people could never, like, it was like a super rare event. Like, apparently all these frogs exploded in, I forget what country it was, and nobody could figure out why. And they've also never seen a colony of, of frogs do that again. But ants do do this. So basically this theory says that perhaps there are some humans with the psychic ability to make themselves explode like these ants. And those humans either accidentally activate the ability to explode or purposefully activate the ability to explode. And people who believe in this theory say, well, ants when they will themselves to explode they have this like gross yellow toxic goo that like smells bad and in a lot of these cases of spontaneous human combustion some of the people that have exploded had this like weird greasy gooey substance that we heard about yeah i mean well hopefully it's that hopefully this is what they wanted and they're just like super happy because they're like yeah my will to explode worked i'm super happy right now and it's not that they just burned to death and were like terrified and very unwilling god (laughs) i know that's really all we can hope for you right (laughs) okay then theory number five is pyroton and this one comes from that guy larry arnold who wrote the book entitled ablaze that i quoted at the beginning of this episode he writes he writes in his book that he thinks a new element could be responsible for spontaneous human combustion, and he names this theoretical element pyroton. Hmm. Now, the problem with this theory is that Larry Arnold is not a scientist. Right. So he, it's like, it would be like the equivalent of me being like, hey, I think that there's an element called explodion, hmm. and that's why all these people are blowing up. But is that not what we do? Don't we just, like, come up with ideas and then say, what if it was true? <laughs> Yes, that is correct. And that's why I chose to include it. So basically, Larry Arnold may have been the first member of the Haunted Fam, even before this podcast existed. Well, also, everyone's got to start somewhere, right? Like, he might not be a scientist, but, like, wasn't there a moment before a scientist was a scientist where they weren't a scientist, but they were still having scientific thoughts? That's true. And they were like, maybe I should become a scientist. And... Let me just explain a little bit, and then you say if you think this makes sense. So he says that a subatomic p- 
particle, subatomic particle, which he refers to as the pyroton, is emitted in cosmic rays, usually passing harmlessly through the body like a neutrino, but occasionally striking a cell nucleus and triggering off a chain reaction that destroys the body entirely in flames. And um, I also added in here, I copy-pasted this from Wikipedia, it just says, reaction to Larry Arnold's theory has been almost unanimously negative. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Poor Larry Arnold. I I think his idea sounds great, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... It makes sense to me. I'm all for creating a new element th- that's just for people who explode. Also, maybe Larry Arnold just knows something that we don't know. Like, maybe he's a time traveler and he's like, I can't explain yeah. to you how I know that this element right. exists, but it does. Right. I right. mean, yeah. What's the next theory? Theory number six is poltergeist. Oh, yeah. In his 1976 book, Fire from Heaven, UK writer Michael Harrison suggests that SHC is connected to poltergeist activity because, he argues, the force which activates the poltergeist originates in and is supplied by a human being. Within the concluding summary, Harrison writes, SHC, fatal or non-fatal, belongs to the extensive range of poltergeist phenomena. I mean, I believe in that because I think like whether it's natural, whether there's like some sort of chemical reaction or something is like obviously there's a chemical reaction going on. Like we know fire has to like eat up oxygen to continue to burn. That's a chemical reaction in itself, right? So I'm not doubting that there's a chemical reaction going on, but what is causing this chemical reaction is up for debate. Very good point. That's a good point. All signs point to something paranormal, which ghosts. And there are two theories left, and they both have to do with chemical reactions. So theory number seven is alcohol mixed with gases inside the body, which you hit on pretty early in the episode. Um, And this theory was proposed by author Paul Rowley in a scientific study he published in the 1700s. And in it, he claimed that gases and intestinal waste combined with alcohol had caused these people to spontaneously ignite from within and explode. Um, This theory is still accepted as a plausible explanation in parts of Ireland, particularly, um, although modern science allegedly tells us that this is impossible. So I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Apparently, this has been debunked. But I guess there are parts of the world where this is still considered like a plausible theory for spontaneous human combustion. Why is it only plausible in parts of Ireland? I don't know. That's literally what the article I read said. So apparently (laughs) only in Ireland do people think that this is a thing. (laughs) If you're an Irish listener and you know why, please let us know. What do you guys know over there that everyone else doesn't know? Mm -hmm. And then the last theory is called the Wick Theory. And a great summary of this theory was published by Jackie Rosenheck in doctorsreview.com. And Jackie writes, The most plausible alternate theory, however, and the one put forth by by most skeptics, seems to be the so-called Wick theory, which maintains that the body's high-fat content explains most cases of SHC. The theory is that an external ignition source burns through the victim's clothes and skin very quickly, releasing fat, which is then reabsorbed into the surrounding clothing, creating a source of continual combustion that continues until the fuel is burned up, similar to the way in which the string down the center of a candle absorbs wax and keeps the flame alive. 
Since there's never been a case of a naked SHC victim, it's an attractive theory. And since most supposed SHC victims are seated when the fire begins and flames travel upward, it explains why the lower limbs are usually left intact. In a well-intentioned attempt to replicate the Wick effect in 1998, scientists at the California Criminalistics Institute graciously used a pig as a stand-in for a person since porcine flesh is similar to human flesh in many ways. They wrapped a dead pig in a blanket, lit it on fire, and left it to burn. The end result was a corpse similar to SHC remains, but that was only after several hours of smoldering. Other attempts to replicate the wick effect in pigs, however, have failed. Plus, some alleged SHC victims have burned in far less time than the hours of smoldering required to get the pig to turn to powder. Convincing though all these theories may be, they can't always account for the more compelling arguments in favor of SHC's existence, namely that these fires so often start in the victim's torsos and not in the limbs, that victims seem to not struggle or move at all after their bodies begin to burn, and that the surrounding areas somehow sustain no damage. It's hard to imagine one's shirt. Ca- it's hard to imagine one's shirt catching fire and then sitting placidly as you're being consumed by flames. And even the wick theory doesn't explain a fire that can then turn bone to ash and then burn out before causing widespread damage. After all, cremating a human's body takes about two hours at a thousand degrees Celsius, which we talked about. Yeah, they're saying it's, like, hard to imagine someone just sitting there calmly, but, like, we saw a video of that guy sitting there calmly. Yes, exactly. So maybe it's actually not unusual. I mean, none of us have ever been on fire before. Maybe you just, like, don't know how to react when you catch on fire. I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, you're really grounded. You're just like, wow, I'm feeling really grounded right now. Like, this is a very... (laughs) peaceful moment i'm like one with nature correct i feel really connected with my breath right now (laughs) yeah well and also there's that famous picture of was it buddhist monks who set themselves on fire in protest right Right. was that yeah and that is like a very famous image that i think a lot of us have seen in history books of like yeah you're just meditating and to the point where like it doesn't bother you to be set on fire yeah, or you just are, like, there for a higher purpose. Like, if they willed right. themselves to explode, they're mm-hmm. just like, this yeah. is my choice. Exactly. So, basically what I'm trying to say is, like, it's really fucking hard to completely disintegrate a body, right, with fire. We learned about that when we learned about um, cremation. Like, we, we watched right. that video. You can burn a body, but then you still have a skeleton, and then you have to smash it down with those tools mm-hmm. that you were describing to people. So, it's... Like, whether or not you think there's a reasonable natural explanation for this, we still don't know what that reasonable explanation is. Like, we haven't figured it out yet. And if you follow true crime at all, which I know a lot of our listeners are fans of true crime, you know how hard it is to burn a body because a lot of murderers get caught because they try to burn the body of the person that they murder. And then they find out, hey, it's really fucking hard to burn a body. And like people come and they find remains in a fire pit or something on their property. So I don't know. It's like a lot of scientists have been trying to recreate this. And 
Um, another experiment on burning bodies that was carried out was carried out by Dr. Wilton M. Krogman at the University of Pennsylvania, who we quoted um, earlier in the episode. And he's burned cadavers in a variety of ways using coal, oil, gas, acetylene, lumber. And he's also conducted these experiments in environments ranging from outdoor funeral pyres to the controlled environments of a crematorium furnace. And he observed a cadaver incinerated for eight hours at 1,000 degrees Celsius, only to find that all of the major bones were intact and still recognizable. So yeah, um, he, he was quoted as saying, like, basically people interviewed him and they were like, hey, what do you think of spontaneous human combustion? And he said that he thought the case of Mary Reeser, because I said, that, like, that's the most famous one. Mm-hmm. He said it was most amazing, adding, as I review it, the short hairs on my neck bristle with vague fear. Mm-hmm. Because it's fucking yeah. weird. It is super weird. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely probably the most haunted way to die. I think now so we know. Too. Now we know. So, which which theory, Natalia, do you think is the most likely? Well, I think out of all of these, I think once the body starts burning, like I said, like it's probably the Wick theory. To me, that makes the most sense. Right. And yeah, I think that that's like makes sense too because the legs that are exposed like they don't have uh cloth around them and like the women's legs and so they don't burn up but I don't think but I mean yeah why it happens is like the most mysterious part like all those theories just basically are telling us like all those like natural theories are telling us like what chemical reaction is happening in the body like even the wick theory is like well it's probably that you know the clothing is serving as a wick and then the body fat is fat and then the fire is just burning but it doesn't tell us why the fire started you know like does putting on clothes make me catch on fire no i hope not i don't know you know well and that's that's a great point too because in all of these investigations of some spontaneous human combustion basically nobody is able to say how the fire started in all of those cases yeah. like they they look around they have like firefighters come in there was that one firefighter that was like like he was like this is fucked up like this is spontaneous human combustion i'm now dedicating my life to that yeah so like nobody seems to be able to figure out like was it a match was it a cigarette like well no we know that that's not how that works like i smoked cigarettes for a long time in college and I like, you know, sometimes you get a little bit of ash drops on you. You don't burst into flames. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. so it's just really mysterious. And the last thing I wanted to talk about in this episode is kind of tangentially related, but I wanted to s- share this last story of someone who dies by fire slash heat. And that's because I read this book that oh I've talked God, about this before. This is the story. This is the fucking story that I hate. No, this one is even worse. I didn't tell that one on here because worse we already than talked the guy about who was taking episode. a nap and then they shoved him in the crematorium and turned it yes. on and he screamed and disintegrated. Yes, this one is worse in my opinion. <sighs> oh my God. Okay, so it's from that same book though. So shout out to Judy Melanick. Um, her book is Working Stiff. I'm about to read. A couple paragraphs from her book. So go out and buy it. I own three copies of her book because I gave one to somebody and they never returned it. And then I bought another one and then I bought the online version. So if you want to buy it, you can go to books.google.com. I am going to read you an excerpt from this book. 
And I think like this story, I read this book in 2017 and I've never fucking forgotten this story. And it haunts me when I close my eyes. So now all of you have to be haunted. Okay. So Judy writes, people ask me all the time, what's the worst way to die you've ever seen? I assure them, you don't want to know. There are always some, however, who press me and insist they do want to know. So here it is, the worst way to die I've ever seen. Detective Ellen Kennett came in with the body and told me the story before I'd opened the black vinyl bag. Sean Doyle was a restaurant bartender who went out drinking after work on Friday night with a friend named Michael Wright and Wright's girlfriend. They were walking home in the early hours of the morning when Doyle apparently said something his buddy didn't like. Wright thought Doyle was making a pass at his girlfriend and he got pissed off, the detective said, and he's a big guy. A shouting match turned into a shoving match, though the girlfriend claimed the two men were, quote, just joking around. Wright himself later described the altercation to the police as roughhousing. Detective Kinnett, however, had heard the 911 tape. Someone is getting the shit beaten out of them down there, a neighbor told the operator. The neighbor's husband came on the line and claimed a man was screaming, No! Don't break my legs! Oh my god. The police later interviewed several eyewitnesses who saw a big guy wailing on a little guy. One told a security guard at an adjacent building, I saw it all. He threw the guy in. The open manhole had a plastic chimney over it to vent steam from a broken main while Consolidated Edison repaired it. There was an 18-foot drop to the boiling water on the bottom of the steam tunnel. The Con Ed supervisor who talked to our MLI at the scene stated that it was 300 degrees down there where Sean Doyle landed. Police and paramedics arrived quickly, but they couldn't get Doyle out. They had to wait for Con Ed to shut off the main. And even then, it was far too dangerous to send a rescuer into the steam tunnel. Doyle wasn't dead when the Con Ed workers first arrived. They said he was arching his back and reaching upwards towards them. He was screaming. It took four hours for them to retrieve the body. The MLI took the corpse's temperature before bagging, his, before bagging him up, as is protocol in death by hyperthermia. It read 125 degrees, she wrote in her report, though it was probably more because the thermometer only goes up to 125 degrees. Doyle's body was leathery to the touch, twisted and glistening with beads of clear water. The outer layer of epidermis was peeling off his hands, feet, shoulders, and legs. His mouth was a black-lined O of burned tissue, his eyes cloudy. Every inch of his skin was bright red. The man on my autopsy table had been steamed like a lobster. Why is he sitting like that, Detective Kinnett, who was observing the autopsy, asked me. Doyle's knees were bent and his hips angled in. It's called a pugilistic pose. The long muscles contract from the heat. It makes the arms and legs curl and can sometimes break bones. How'd it do that, he asked me. You know how your steak shrinks when you cook it, I said. Same thing. Oh, Kenneth nodded with that look homicide detectives get of opening a mental filing cabinet and sliding something in. Doyle's heat-contracted muscles didn't break any of his bones. Neither did the plunge through the manhole. Despite having been beaten up and then sustaining a fall of 18 feet, he actually had very little blunt trauma. No hemorrhaging, no head trauma at all. I wish I had found head trauma. 
It was hard to perform that autopsy knowing that the man had been conscious while he sustained the horrifying thermal injuries I was seeing. I couldn't evaluate whether he had sustained any bruises because the tissue, the tissues that show contusions were all cooked. I couldn't find any abrasions because his skin's outer layer had largely peeled off. His liver wasn't bloody and red like a normal one, nor was it floppy and pale. It was brown and firm, same with the heart, kidney, spleen, and all other viscera. Even the brain had been scalded solid. Veins and arteries had turned to sausage. Third-degree thermal burns destroy nerve endings, but because this poor man had suffered a steam burn and there was no flame involved, the nerve tissue in his dermis was not damaged. He would have suffered terrible agony from the burns to his skin and from his organs cooking internally. He would have felt everything. When I opened Sean Doyle's trachea, I found foam in his airway. His lungs had filled with fluid as thermal injury started to break them down, and each breath whipped up an edematious froth, making it harder and harder for him to draw air. That air came in at a searing temperature, damaging the flesh of his upper airway and swelling his trachea, asphyxiating him. At the same time, the physiological stress of the extreme heat was driving up his blood pressure and heart rate. Hyperthermia was swelling his brain. Any one of these three mechanisms, asphyxia, cardiac arrest, or hyperthermic cerebral edema, could have been the proximate cause of death. Any one of them would have been sufficient to kill him, and the physical evidence told me they had been working in concert. This was thermal injury due to steam and scald burns, the cause of Sean Doyle's death. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. So he was literally steamed to death. Yes, correct. Wow. So, but basically, um, so I wanted to say that story because it haunts me, as I said, and I need everyone else to be fucking haunted by this, but also because maybe there is a death worse than spontaneous human combustion because she said at least with like a fire burning, it would burn through your nerve endings really quickly. So you wouldn't be able to like feel that much as you were dying. But in this case, he was steamed to death. So he felt everything. Why did that guy throw him in there? Because he thought the guy was hitting on his girlfriend and they were both drunk. And he didn't, he probably didn't know. Exactly. He probably thought he was just going to like break his leg or something. Or like, yeah, I'm just throwing you in some random hole. Right. And you can Google this case. Like the guy's name really is Sean Doyle. You can Google it. His friend was convicted of manslaughter, not murder, because it wasn't premeditated. <sighs> so that's my story. On, yeah. Where? Um, why did you like, how did you get the idea to do this story? I'm more interested in like your psychology. Um. I had heard about spontaneous human combustion because years ago I had read about the story of Mary Reeser and that story of her spontaneously combusting, there's like photos of it. Um, It was super popular. It was a really strange mystery because a lot of people think it's paranormal. Um, A lot of people think like, oh, it's aliens blowing up this person or a poltergeist or this person's a witch. And so I had read about it. I don't remember where. And then I remember BuzzFeed making that video about Mary Reeser, but I had never looked into like what exactly the theory behind spontaneous human combustion is. Like I had never heard any other stories about it. I had only Mm. ever heard about Mary Reeser. And so I was like, hmm, I wonder if that would be like a good story to look into. I wonder like if there's enough there for an hour of content. And then I started looking into cremation and I was like, holy fuck, like... I, I don't know. I just like I didn't know much about it. I didn't know much about 
I don't like looking at things involving ways that you die because I am scared of it. But then I started looking into it and I couldn't stop. Right. Yeah. It's pretty morbid. But like looking at the photos was satisfying. You know, like it's like I can't look away type thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's also like it's so interesting, like the fact that scientists haven't really been able to replicate these deaths and they don't really know like what's going on. That to me is like a very interesting unsolved mystery. Great episode. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Not. Are you going to be able to sleep tonight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like just to, this is one of those things that haunts you where you just like think of the images and think of the stories and like you can't really bring it up because it's not like a fun thing to talk about. It's not like, did you hear about this like mystery of these hikers in Russia who like, you know, disappeared? Right. <laughs> It's just like, hey, did you know that like you could just at any moment catch flames and just turn into a pile of ash and the fat on your body would serve as a wax and you'd become a human candle until you explode all <laughs> over the room, leaving a disgusting film of yellow goo and no one will ever understand why it happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty um, it's pretty horrifying. And remember that story I was telling you at the beginning of the guy, Ray Marsh, that like left all of those bodies instead of cremating them. He just like left them in the forest and stuff. So apparently all of those different locations I told you about are haunted, which like, obviously, I believe that like (laughs) somebody's like 300 bodies discovered (laughs) rotting in a forest. Cool. That's haunted. (laughs) Um, But at his um, trial, because he was tried and convicted of fraud. I was reading and the judge had this like fucking crazy eloquent quote and he said death is unique it is unlike aught else in its certainty and its incidence a corpse in some respects is the strangest thing on earth a man who but yesterday breathed and thought and walked among us has passed away something has gone the body is left cold and still and is all that is visible to the mortal eye of the man we knew around it cling love and memory Beyond it may reach hope. It must be laid away. And mm. So he said that that's why the crime was so egregious. Because when you have a dead body, it was a person. And right. you've got to... But not also, why did knew. he have to speak? Why did he have to speak in like 1800s English? Like that, <laughs> that was very strange quote from yeah. that guy to give. Very. Uh, yeah. Maybe he was a poet in a previous life. Who knows? Maybe he was I like, mean, this is my chance. Like I right. have this poem that I wrote. And I finally have a way to use it during one of my trials. Right. He just weaved it in there. Right. So I'm going to read my sources and then I want your closing thoughts and your sign off, Natalia. So my sources for this episode are Wikipedia, science.howstuffworks.com, an article by Chrissy Howard published to allthatsinteresting.com, an article by Brian J. Ford published to mccroneinstitute.org, doctorsreview.com, an article by an unknown author entitled The End of a Witch or Spontaneous Combustion, The Tragic Fate of Grace Pet, found on winsham.blogspot.com. Spontaneous Human Confabulation, Requiem for Phyllis, written by Jan Willem Ninehues on skepsis.nl slash newcomb. An article by an unknown author entitled Spontaneous Combustion, found on tokenrock.com. An article by an unknown author entitled Irishman Dies from Spontaneous Human Combustion found on blather.net. Ten Cases of Spontaneous Human Combustion written by Esther Inglis Arkell found on io9.gizmodo.com. 
How to Explain Spontaneous Human Combustion, written by Katie Heaney, found on psmag.com. Fall Lightning Scientists Remain in the Dark, written by Hazel Muir on newscientist.com. And Working Stiff by Judy Melanick and TJ Mitchell. And then as I was writing this fucking uh, episode, one of the podcasts I listened to, last podcast on the left, posted an episode on spontaneous human combustion. I was like, fuck, this is like the second time this Mm. has happened to me. So I was listening to their podcast, Skipping Around, and that's the podcast I heard the theory about the ants and frogs that explode. So shout out Mm. to them. That's from their podcast. Mm, Lovely. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are like, I don't know. This just kind of makes me, I, I do think it has to have something to do with like the gases in your stomach and alcohol. And so I think if you're going to drink, make sure you're not constipated. And Solid if you're going to be, regardless. yeah, that's it. Right. And if all else fails, if you are constipated and you are drunk at the same time, you have to be naked. <laughs> Otherwise you're at risk. <laughs> so basically if you are not naked and if you're not if you're constipated and drunk you need to immediately get naked otherwise you're at risk for spontaneous human combustion and that's just a fact looking at the data i think those are great thoughts um i'm hoping it's a poltergeist slash ball lightning aliens or something dude if i saw that ball lightning there's no fucking way i would be okay after it i wouldn't (laughs) just be like well that's a natural phenomenon interesting i would be like that was a supernatural there's a hundred percent that was a supernatural and i kind of feel like that one ball lightning i'm putting like air quotes because i don't really think it's ball lightning i feel like that one ball lightning that attacked that russian teacher was like normally that's how it starts the spontaneous combustion or whatever but that it was just like a russian guy and he's like in russia no spontaneous combustion you know yeah and then it's just like it couldn't get in so i think too it has something to do with your willpower yeah the will to survive the eye of the tiger that's excellent all really great advice you guys make sure you get naked next time you're constipated and if you've ever spontaneously combusted you can send us an email at let's get haunted pod <laughs> at gmail.com well natalia do you want to do our sign off oh yeah let me think of one um brb gotta go handle human remains with no gloves on and just haphazardly blend them together like i'm making a smoothie at jamba juice (laughs) (laughs) excellent bye bye